We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernan. Joining us for this episode is Kenny Miller. Unbelievable career with Rangers, Derby, Celtic, Cardiff City, Vancouver, Hibs and Scotland as well. 69 appearances for his national team as well. Scored goals at every one of those clubs and that's what we're going to talk about today. The number nine position as it's known tactically today but we're going to go a little bit further into it scoring goals movement positional specific training psychology of goal scoring all these things that kenny has experience of as a player and is now looking to implement as a manager as well and a coach most recently with huddersfield as he's moved on to the coaching side and his pro license and all that good stuff that we get into in the interview. So this was brilliant. I loved it. Let me know what you think. At Modern Soccer Coach on Instagram. At Modern Soccer Coach on Twitter. A massive thanks to the team at Football Careers for helping set this one up. Kenny has worked with them. And Piero connected us. And really grateful he did. Football Careers. Please check them out. The global football recruitment company that specializes in recruitment for clubs, colleges, universities and academies around the world. We're really excited to team up with them. We'll hear from them at the halfway point with a special offer if you want some help with your resume and improving your professional network. Massive thanks to Football Careers. Massive thanks to Kenny for coming on. Here he is. Kenny, thanks so much for joining me for the Modern Soccer Coach podcast. Really, really excited to have you on. Yeah, delighted. It's good to be on. Obviously, it's been a long time coming. It's uh, trying to find a, a bit of time that, that suits us both now, but good to be on. I wanted to get straight into it and get stuck into a topic. We're, we're having this kind of, especially over here in the US, it's a bit of a generation where we're everyone's saying they're missing that one player. It's usually a nine. It's usually a goal scorer. I looked at your record last night and you did it at every team you went to. Well, is it instinct or can that aspect of the play be coached, do you think? No, listen, I think I think particularly when you're younger, you can be you can be coached on, on what the role is. You know, it's I mean again, it's like the like goal scoring's know the role. You know, this is the thing, like goal scoring is a byproduct of the job that you're doing and the position that you play because you're highest up the field, you've got hopefully you've got good players about you to supply you because again a goal scorer can't score goals without a good supply line. Uh but at that point it's understanding movements, it's understand positions. It's uh, a lot of it for me is 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 having a having football intelligence as well, understand like, what you need to be doing in that role, what you need to do every single week to give you the best possible chance of having a good game for your team, which again will then lead to the opportunities to score goals. There is people out there, clearly, that when that ball comes in the box, there is an instinct of where to be, a reading the situation. And I think the best strikers 
uh, in the world are they're just ahead of the game. They're that wee split second ahead. So they're they're being really really proactive and trying to read a situation. And when you play often enough. You start to find yourself, and if a ball's wide, for instance, by the position that the ball's in, you kind of know roughly where the ball's going to go. Again, if it's getting close to the byline, you might be looking for a cutback, or maybe even a stand-up. If you're, if it's a little bit kind of further out, you might be looking for that cross that goes, or, or even that Kevin De Bruyne pass that has served so many times for Aguero in between the goalkeeper and the and the and the defensive line. So you're making your movements accordingly. So you start to get that understanding of what's going to be coming but again there is a bit of instinct when it comes into that but that's a small for me it's a small part of the game and a goal is really a split second of a game or a movement leading into a goal might be one two seconds of a game so it's, it's what you're doing in the rest of the game that's going to allow you to firstly do the job for the team give yourself a chance to have a good game but then if you're doing your job properly then that for me that will then lead to more opportunities and get you in more territory that will allow you opportunities to score goals played on a, on a range of teams was there anything that all those variables that you said was there something that you relied upon was it was it a de bruyne type midfielder was it a player alongside you was it a pressing system what did, what did you kind of need to to be confident scoring goals I think early when I when I first started out, I was really really fortunate that uh, when I broke through at Hibs, I had Mixu Patalainen. He was uh, again the old striker. He played at Bolton. Uh, he was up here at Hibs, Dundee United, and he had a, he had a wonderful career. And he came into Hibs when we were in the Championship, and that was I kind of made my debut the year before. I then played a few games at the start of that season, but then Mixu effectively actually came in, and I ended up going out on loan. But when I came back the following season, Mixu was there and he was the guy I played pretty much most of the games with. Uh, and he was a really, really good foil for me. Again, if you're talking in generic terms, you're talking the big guy who takes all the hits and the flick-ons and you've got the young, energetic, fast, lively striker who can feed off that. Uh, when I went to Wolves and I had another a really, really top, top player to play alongside in Nathan Blake, so I think when I was younger, those types of guys helped me. Uh, but, you know, in football, again, some of the questions that you've sent me through are like advice for younger players and things. And, you know, you, you need to be open to learn. You know, you need to be a sponge. And when I was younger, like these guys... I mean, you can only learn from these guys. Michael Moles, when I was at Rangers, when I went there the first time, just wonderful strikers, Ronald De Boer. We signed Ronald for... Uh, from Barcelona at that time so these guys you can only learn from them so you have to absorb everything that you're and it's not just information or advice that they're giving you it's how they conduct themselves and how they play and things that they do and if you can look at that and then adapt it and put it into your own game in your own way then you're only only going to become better you know, so I was lucky in the respect I had a lot of really good guys that I was playing alongside as a, as a younger striker, probably up till I was about 23, 24. And at that point, I played a lot of games. You know, I'd played international football, I'd played Champions League football, I'd played Scottish Prem, and I had played uh, English Premier League. So it was... Uh, You've played against the top, top players. You've played in the top, again, top games, really tough games. Uh, and you can only learn. So by the time you, you get, for me anyway, when I was at that mid-20s, I had a really fair understanding about what the role was that I needed to do in that position. So uh, 
and I played lone striker a lot as well. So now my now my partner was gone, you know. So I never had the big foil, and I never had the like the the security having that guy up beside you to share the workload and things. So particularly with Scotland, I, I played as a lone striker, and further down the line, that the four three three become the kind of go to formation with the nine and the seven and the eleven. So I, I played that role a lot. So. What, what's what's key at that again, and I'll go back to it because I mean football for me is probably the ultimate team game, you know. So you need your teammates, but sorry, particularly as a striker, you need your teammates to to give you the service. You need them to provide for you uh, if you're going to be able to do your job properly, and, and again, ultimately score goals. So I've played in like every every. Like possible formation, whether it be up front on your own, whether it be with two wingers. I've, I've actually played like in the four-five-one, where every player along the midfield was a centre midfielder. So there wasn't great width or a, a, a lot of support. And when I was playing for Scotland, it was the lone striker, and I found myself on an island a lot of the time because of what we were, we were doing. We were set up to be defensive. We were set up to be like no get beat. Listen, we had some really really good players within that as well. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've played in pretty much every way, like, like, like the number nine could be played and it's it's funny because if you had probably asked me earlier in my career I might have said like playing up front with a partner but I really I became a like the four three three with the two wingers and particularly if you had midfielders in the in the middle of the pitch as well they could come and support you and go beyond you. Uh, that I found that really good and my game kinda adapted a little bit then for maybe the young whippersnapper who was just running everywhere and lively and was constantly threatening and behind to someone who again because you're learning, because you're watching what other people are doing actually really my game adapted to become a in my opinion I was a decent all round number nine who could come in link I still with a good bit of pace where I could go and stretch the game but uh, football intelligence plays a big part of that it went to do what what the game needs again who are you up against that was one thing I really enjoyed was the was the mental battle I mean if I was playing against a forward like uh, sorry a defender like Rio Ferdinand I mean he was rapid he was six foot four he could play he was agile he was strong in there he was aggressive you now again I'm not saying I got the better of him at all but I had to find a way to try and get the better of him and maybe just what I'd worked with other players maybe domestically if I was in Scotland maybe never watch him you had to adapt and you had to you had to have a, a bit of intelligence to try and work out what was going to again on that given day what was going to give you a chance to do the best role like the role to the best of your ability for your team and give you a chance to, to have some some level of success so it was uh, yeah it was I mean listen I, I love being a forward it was I had some wonderful partners Chris Boyd again going back to Rangers I mean again that was a really really good partnership with Boyd he was a goal machine and you're talking about instincts and coming alive in the box I mean there was, there was nobody better at, at that time and what it did it allowed me to do the things I felt I was good at which I probably linked a little bit more there was a really good blend between the two of us uh, but again we had wonderful teammates around us with Barry Ferguson Pedro Mendes Steve Davises Stephen Naismith so all serving us it was uh, it helps when you've got good players about you obviously The aspect of being open-minded and change and, and obviously that's happened now in environments and science psychology but you've also got today you're getting specialist coaches what, what, what value or, or where do you think a, a striker coach would fit in or help Someone who's a young forward in the game. Yeah, well, that's listen. I've, I've I've been asked a lot about that like since retiring, and then obviously looking to be into coaching. And I, I just feel like I, I see a lot of things like you see things on social media and the people that are coaching strikers, and what they're talking about is like they're looking at finishing drills and they're looking at 
like again a lot of it will be about the goal scoring aspect of the role but honestly I feel there's so much more to the role when you mentioned that there is a psychology to the role you know about working out how you can get the best of your opponent I mean one way that I always looked at it is, is what was the type when I was moving or if I was coming deep or if I was going long what is that doing to the defensive line how am I working them what questions am I posing them how am I making their job not easy by doing my role so that's there is a lot more goes into the role, I think, than just the goal scoring, the finishes and the movements. Because, I mean, I think good movement really, really helps. But for me, good movement comes with understanding what you should be doing in that moment of the game. So I think a high level of a, a, a game intelligence is, is going to make you a better player all over the, all over the pitch. And I think that it's pretty obvious. But the striker-coach thing, I think it's trying to, particularly with younger players, it would be trying to get that into their mindset to understand and, right, OK, we want you to be doing this, right? How does that affect them? And what benefits is, is the team and you as an individual going to get from doing these types of movements, making these types of runs? Uh, a big thing is box positioning as well. I think when the crosses are coming in, we've already touched on it, is understanding when the ball's in a certain area of the pitch. I mean, it could be touchline, it could be line with the six-yard box, line with the penalty spot, line with the 18-yard box, and again, you see your, your Trent Alexander-Arnolds and your Kevin De Bruyne's, the balls that they put in for even deeper positions. You're, like, being alive, again, but that's understanding, again, game intelligence and what you've got, what's in your team, what's his strengths. Can he pick me out there? Absolutely he can, so I'm going to make the movements. So there's a lot, like, like you say, specialised coaches, I mean, there's even like the throwing coaches and set play coaches and, and this types of things, the games, defensive coaches, offensive coaches, then striker coaches, like, there is a lot of that in the game, but you know, there's nothing. There's not one like attacking play, defensive play is all linked. Again, the the striker play has to be linked with a, within the game model with the manager and how he wants to play. What does he want from you in the role? Because even in even in coaching now, we have now looked at maybe strengths of players and we think, right, okay, he's got a strength that he can stretch the game and he can run behind and he's got good pace. Right, we probably need to get some players now that can play in the spaces that he's creating. You know, so I, it does become all connected. The thing for the striker is, it's just for me. The sooner they understand what the role is, then the better chance they're going to have to then learn. And again, as coaches, it's our it's our job to do that. You know, it's our, it's our job to put them into the positions regularly, Monday to Friday, that they're probably going to be facing on the on the on the Saturday in the game. Again, probably against the level of opposition, because for for one game to the next game, the role might just adapt ever so slightly based on who you're playing or which side of the pitch you can attack better because maybe that centre-back's a little bit slower or maybe that centre-back's really, really fast. So maybe we need to be and really clever and good movement. So maybe we need to target the other guy, you know. So the role can adapt slightly from week to week, but it's uh, particularly younger. I think when you get older, you expect you take players for granted that they actually know their jobs. But again, I've learned in coaching in the last kind of three years now that it's not always the case. Because as much as you expect players to have had a, a decent enough education and grounding in the game, it's not how it is all the time. You know, sometimes they don't get like the, as good an education or a grounding in the game as what the next. I mean, I was really fortunate again as a young player for probably about twelve years old. I had a coach called Donald Park, who was our uh, our coach at, at Hibs, and he was out of this world you know, absolutely out of this world and he gave us the best possible chance to have a career 
that that we could ever have hoped for. I mean, he was absolutely spot on. He worked with the SFA for years. He's worked with Hibs. He's in at Hearts at the moment. Like he's just a top top coach, and he loved coaching the, like the younger players as well. So he was really really invested in it. And he, and he gave us a real opportunity to go and have careers. And, you know, again, if you're smart enough to understand what he's doing, why he's doing it, then, you, then you're going to become better, you know. So that was something that uh, you can take that for granted a little bit. No, everybody gets it. So you could be coming up to players that maybe mid to even late 20s that might not have had that. They might not have that quite understanding. But particularly with younger players, if you can get them to understand their role within the team, uh, as, as as soon as you can, as early as you can. But I see what I'm going to get. So many coaches. We've just finished the pro license, and so many of the, uh, the top level coaches and managers that we had on, like giving presentations and sharing their kind of coaching journeys. They always say it's about the players. It's always about players, and I couldn't agree more. Not just about players in terms of playing a certain way or achieving certain things. It's about the player needs to needs to want to learn. You know, they, they need to want to listen and they need to be open to actually, uh, again, particularly with younger players, learning, listening to the, to the coaches, the more experienced players. Again, some of the most important lessons and things I've learned in football were actually from the guys I played with. You know, because I touched on before, when you're playing with a level of footballer and you're a younger player coming through, you can only learn from these guys. So it's important that you listen to your coaches, your manager, but even the, the more experienced players in your team, because these guys have lived it, you know. So for for younger players, it's, it's so so important. And again, I don't know. There's a football's football, you know. It's no change, and I think I don't think there'll ever be anything that's done that's not been done before. It's, it's as a coach, it's how you use these again drills, uh, how you use these coaching techniques to to apply it to your group, you know. And uh, and and that's where the difference between the coaches is, because like I say, there's no been a drill that's not been done before. Uh, it's how you adapt it, how you make it your own, and the message that you're delivering within that. That's that's how you can get your message across to your players. Hello, coaches. We take a quick break here. Football careers who helped put this interview together. Please check them out. The global football recruitment company specialise in recruiting for clubs, colleges, university and private soccer academies around the world. We're really excited to team up with them. Please check out their work. In addition to their specialist recruitment services, they also support candidates at all levels of the game, professionally designed football resumes and also support candidates with philosophy brochures, PowerPoint presentations, interview coaching and this one's worth checking out. They also help out coaches with sorting out their social media, their LinkedIn profiles and helping to improve your professional network and improve the opportunity of you getting connected with professionals in the area that you aspire to grow in the game. They've been kind enough to offer MSC podcast listeners 20% discount on their products and marketing products using the code MSC20, MSC20 at checkout. Check them out now. If you're looking at improving your resume, if you're looking at improving your coaching philosophy brochure, your PowerPoint presentation, maximizing all your resources to make sure that you have the best opportunity to progress in the area that you aspire to, please check them out, footballcareers.com, and a massive thanks to them for their support and 
connecting us with Kenny. Let's let's go back there or, or stay even on that topic of of you of learning to learn from others. When it was a player like De Boer and they're coming in and they're bringing the the different types of mentalities and what was the was it the diet was it the mentality was it the day to day training did he grab you like talk about that process and 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 how maybe a player can benefit from that. Well, I think it's so. For instance. I was I was a Rangers fan growing up, and I watched I watched them playing the uh, that was the European Cup at the time I think, uh, and then eventually became the Champions League. But Michael Moles I just thought was absolutely outstanding. So Michael had this turn that he done when he was he would receive a pass and he would drop one way and then he would go the other, and the defender would always buy it, and then he would be gone the other direction because he was it was so sharp and so quick. And I, would, I was watching that and I was thinking, that, that's incredible. You know, absolutely incredible. So I took that time. Again, Michael and Ronald and these guys are brilliant guys to like to play with and watch and learn. They weren't big speakers to us, as, or me as a young player anyway, like trying to help that baby. They, 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 they wouldn't even know they were helping. They would just, they were because of how they went about their business. I mean, Ronald had, had bad injuries, I think, with his knees at the time when they came to the Angels. So he was always working hard on in the gym and rehab. And Michael was just an incredible footballer. And so then, anyway, that turn, I took that. I went, I want that in my game. You know, I need that in my game. And so I, I started kind of doing that type of stuff and it starts to become natural. And I ended up scoring. My last goal for Scotland was effectively that type of movement against... England at Wembley when the ball came into me I took it in I drop one way I go the next way and then I smash it in the, into the goal with my left foot I watched that last night brilliant goal you know so I mean, but that was taken for Michael Moles and it was put wow. in my game and that was I think I was 34 uh, when, when that game was played 33 or 34 so that was like 14 years and 14-15 years in the making watching this guy doing that when I was young and then putting it into my game as uh, as it went through and like that's how you learn listen there is players out there that will grab you and take you aside and work with you and again I was that player when I was older when I was an older player trying to help help players whether it be movements or positioning or and then that's why you go into coaching you know that's why we love the game that we're in uh, and we, we want to go into coaching and, and helping players I remember when I actually took my first role at Livingston, like at the end of a training session, I'd got my six, my number six, who was a really, really key player for us. And we literally just walked through for 10, 15 minutes on the pitch at the end of training. I was explaining to them, this is why I need you here. This is why you're here. This is what I want you to be doing in this moment. And you're just walking through. And this is, again, but I, I absolutely love football, you know, like, I'm obsessed with it. I have been since I've been able to walk. So these types of things, you just love it. And when the players are really open and like and engaged, as well, I mean, it makes it so much better because you can see them taking the information in, uh, and then even better when you actually see them do it in the games. And you're thinking, there you go, we've worked on that, we've spoke about that, and he's grasping it. And by the way, now the point now it's about him taking it, using it, making it better. You know, that's what that's what that's what the players have got to do because players have to have taken ownership of their own development because ultimately it's their career. You know, we're only as coaches or managers trying to help them on their way to have the best possible career that they can have. Uh, so it's up to them to actually really take ownership of it and, uh, and and work on what they need to work on and develop it. Was there any manager who was from a forwards perspective that you played for was saying, now this is... It's like Redknapp's got that reputation as being an attack-minded coach and... Maybe it's because of the system or maybe it's because of the appreciation for that position. Was there anyone that you played for that, 
that re- that you felt could bring out the best in the attackers? There was a couple. Uh, there was a couple. I mean, again, like football, as we've said, football's football. So it's not going to change. But what I think has kind of changed is the amount of detail in which coaching the coaches apply on a day-to-day basis in their training. Uh, the analysis side of the game obviously has changed dramatic, sorry, sorry, dramatically, as has the sports science, and it's, it's crept more and more into football. But the game's the game, you know, but before, back in, I think it was 2003, 2000, 2004 maybe, Glenn Hoddle came into Wolves. And for me, Glenn was, he was doing this stuff back then. You know, all the stuff that uh, you, you hear all these modern-day coaches getting so much credit for. Glenn was doing this back in 2004. Like, and in terms of attacking, he came in, and like I said, for Wolves, Matt, we played pretty much 4-4-2 the majority of the time. It would be myself and Nathan Blake. They had Dean Sturridge was there as well, George and Da, with a really, really good group of forwards. And uh, there would always normally be two of us playing. Glenn came in straight away and suppose we're playing 4-3-3. Uh, and it changed the way that we were playing a bit. So I end up, with a, a big Carroll Court would be through the middle as a number nine and I end up playing just off the left. But because I was a forward again, he kind of had that role adapted for me that I would end, I would be the one, if anybody, that would be getting more closer to Corey to be that second striker because of a striker. But he coached the life out of us, of our shape, how we attack, the movements we're making when the ball's on the other side, that you're always in. As the ball's travelling out, you now need to go out and give... Just to constantly coach that. And for me, he was well ahead of his time. You know, I loved working with Glenn with a couple of years with him before I left Wolves, uh, where I, I really, really enjoyed it. And he was, again, you can imagine the way he was as a player, he was focused on how he attacked. And we had a brilliant team at that point. I mean, we had Paul Ince at the, at the heart of that midfield. I mean, I mean, what a guy and what a player, an absolute winner. Uh, I mean, again, he was a guy that, in that young Wolves team we had, like myself, there was Lee Neller, there was Keith Andrews, there was uh, Jolene Lescott. We had a good group of young players. And in say, Dennis Irwin came in at the same time. And uh, these two guys were they were incredible for our, our growth as footballers because in different ways, like really, really good leaders. I mean, Dennis, as you can imagine, was a little bit quieter than Inse. But Inse was just an absolute winner. And his mindset, his mental strength was out of this world, and he was a big part in how he developed his players. There's no doubt about it. Uh, when you see, when you've got guys that are playing at that level, I mean, uh, Dennis playing at Man U for the amount of years that he played, international player for however many years, however many caps, and then so you get your Liverpools, your Man United, your Inter Milan's. It's like these guys. Like again, going back to the, the early part of when you're younger, because we're still, I was still, think I was at Wolves between 21 and 26, so you're still a youngish player. You're you're still learning. Uh, I mean, we're always learning, but at that point, it's really really important that you're learning. But these guys were incredible for us. Uh, and grow. I mean, just even just 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 for mindsets and the and the mental strength of what it takes to deal with disappointments and but know that affects you. Still be able to put in your best foot forward uh, on any given day. They were they were incredible for us. And and Glenn had a way of coaching us to just attack. He wanted us to play this brand of football. I mean, we had really really good players, like I'd said, uh, good blend of experienced guys who had been there and done it, and younger guys who were super hungry to come through and going on to have hopefully as good a career as these guys. So, we were a good team and we played some incredible stuff. But again, Glenn, Glenn worked super hard on that. Uh, and I say that I felt he was he was ahead of his time. A lot of the stuff that you hear coaches talk about now, which seems 
Now it might have came out like in the last kind of ten, twelve years or so. Glenn was he was doing that type of work back then. What was he like from because you hear that quite a bit about he was unbelievable in the grass and you read about it in autobiographies, a lot of the England guys all said that he was he was unbelievable from on the day to day the sessions. How was he from a from a managerial standpoint or a man management standpoint? Because he often doesn't get a get the the praise, I suppose, in the same respect. Listen, I think he was—he was. It's all part of coaching management, and he's a—he's a, he's an intelligent man. So he knew. Well, he was an intelligent football. He's an intelligent man, so he knew it was a big part of a big part of management. So he was. I mean, he was excellent. I mean, what he'd done is he'd put a really good group together. I mean, we had a brilliant, brilliant group at Wolves over that that five years that I was there. Uh, so in regards to like the, like the management side, and like I say, he had guys like Ince, he had guys like Dennis Irwin, he had guys like uh, Paul Butler who was there uh, for a bit as well. I think Jody Craddock then came into the team as well uh, over that period. Like we had a lot of good, experienced players. Mark Kennedy was in there as well, I mean, a wonderful player. So we had a lot of good, experienced guys that would make sure things were run properly. You know what I mean? I think the like the, the man management side of it and things and for Glenn probably all got overlooked and you can understand why it does because he was that good a coach, you know, and he was that good a player that that he, he tend to focus on on that that strength or those strengths other than looking at the other things, but I mean, again, tactically, he was, he was absolutely out of the world. He's, he had, I mean, there's one, there's, there's things that stick in your mind, and I remember we had played. Uh, I think it was Ipswich. It was either Ipswich or Cardiff who were playing at home and they were going to be playing a back three. And he just told me, and it was Saul was uh, on the right, and he just told us to stay up. He just told us to stay up. And he was like, listen, don't do too much defending because if we win it, it was a trust our back back lot and our midfielders to, to deal with. It. And if they want to stay 3v3 against you guys, across the width of that pitch, he goes, I have no problem. He goes, yeah, I remember he said to me, there'll be two things that will happen. The wider wing backs will just get pinned, and it's quite generic stuff, right? So it's but it's stuck with me, and it's things that I've thought would if I would do as a coach going against a back three with a front three, and he he says there are two things that will happen: the wider wing backs will just get pinned back, and then we'll control the game with Lee Naylor, who was a left back, and Dennis Irwin, who was a right back, because they'll have all the time in the world on the ball, or they'll make a change and they'll go to a back four, and within ten minutes, I think we're one nil up. We should have been two nil up, and they changed to a back four, you know. And, I've heard a lot of coaches these these days trying to they talk about trying to trying to picture or imagine how the game's going to go, and then they can set their team up accordingly. I think Tuchel someday does that a lot. Like he tries to envisage right, this is how the game's going to go, and if we do this and we do, and then he his training week will be based on how he sees the game going to go. Well, well, Glenn, that was exactly what Glenn did. It might not have been as like put out there as much as what as maybe what things are now, but that's effectively what he done. He had read what would happen, and if they'd done a certain thing, these are the changes that could actually happen. Sure enough, it went the exact way that he said. Uh, but he was no, I do. I think he was great. And another one, another one of the kind of more modern day ones, even though he is a bit older, was, was Mark Warburton when he came to Rangers. He was someone that he just wanted to attack and attack. And what we had at that time was probably, with the grace to respect, an opportunity to hone that kind of style and skill because well, we're in the championship of Scottish football which Rangers should never be in that and if they were ever in it like we were we should have just blasted it uh, because of the qualities that we had and we were able to play that kind of brand and he was very say again 4-3-3 formation uh, with two wingers and a nine again m myself or Martin Waghorn might have been the guy that uh, 
play one side because if the two of us were in the team, the two of us were number nines, but one of us would maybe play off the sides. But what it did, it gave us a real kind of flexibility that he could be there, I could be there, that Barry Mackay was on the other side. So there was a real flexibility and fluidity to the front line in uh, that time. But again, at the level what we're at, it gave us a real opportunity to, to really go at it. But he was constantly attacking, working on attacking patterns. This is how the movements, link-ups with our eights, our wingers and our full-backs, how they can rotate and get breach defences by movements and, and passes. It was, uh, it was a really enjoyable time as well. Hello, coaches. We take our second and final break of this episode. We've just hit 18,000 subscribers on our YouTube page, Modern Soccer Coach YouTube. If you haven't gone over there already, please check it out. We have made a big attempt to increase the volume of content that we've put out on YouTube over the last 12 months. So we've grown it from 7,000 to 18,000. The goal was 20,000 and we'll be getting there very, very soon. So YouTube is where we're putting a lot of our content. We're also driving the content on our Modern Soccer Coach website, modernsoccercoach.com. There's a ton of free information out there. There's PDFs on Eric Ten Hag sessions, Mauricio Sarri throwing routines that we put up recently, and some possession exercises as well. There's also a ton of resources on the Modern Soccer Coach shop, modernsoccercoach.com slash shop. Please check it out and don't miss our Friday webinars that we're doing alongside APFA, Association of Professional Football Analysts. APFA on Fridays, free webinars and an opportunity to come on and interact with an analyst or a coach on a specialised topic of the game. Check that out on our social media platforms. Twitter, Modern Soccer, MSC Education, Instagram, Modern Soccer Coach, and please subscribe to our YouTube page, Modern Soccer Coach on YouTube. Thanks for all the support. Back to Kenny. A lot more awareness today with on the mental side, and we, we talked a little bit there about psychology, pressure, stress, anxiety. To go to Glasgow and play in the cauldron of those teams with the expectations that you have to win every week and then even in the Premier League where you're week to week relegation and promotion and all these things in English football was there was there an element to the game that you tried to sharpen off the pitch psychologically or was that always there in your in your psyche See, to be honest, I, I think I always had it for, for, for even just, not even a young player just a, just a youngster you know, I just, I just wanted to win you know, and Nothing like I never really cared about what other people would think, and I, I was focused on what I wanted. And so, whether it was playing snooker or going down to the snooker hall and wanting to play, I, took, I always remember I played against snooker, I played against the, the club champion in the handicap tournament, right? And he's way better than me. I think I had 20 a start, but I, that night I said, I'm, I'll find a way to win, and I found a way to win. I just kept tying him up, kept ruining up all the colours, and I just ruined the game. You know, I ruined the game and I won two now and I got through I got through the next round. But that's again that's the, the mental sense trying to work out a way to win, you know. So I've always felt I just I had quite a strong mentality, uh, a winning mentality. I've like I said, I've, whether it was snooker or I played balls, lawn balls when I was younger, because my dad played, uh, me and my brother would play, I just wanted to win, you know, I, I, football was no different. Right? Even if anything, it was more it was more important for me because it was my passion, you know. So uh, these clubs just matched up with what 
what I was, I felt, you know, and all the outside noise. And I mean, again, I've had a lot of criticism over my career, you know, and it's like I've I've all almost played nine hundred games, you know, like so most managers I played for pretty much picked me, you know, so I must have been doing something right. So the, the outside noise, but if you miss a chance or you're maybe not as good a technical player as the next guy or that or whatever, like I always, always knew, I, I knew I had a good understanding of the role I needed to play, and I always believed that again the work ethic and and the, and kind of constantly doing the right things. And it's not just about doing the right things on a Saturday; it was the Monday to Friday work, having the good daily habits, having the understanding that that, that training's not just a waste of an hour and a half. It's an opportunity to get better. It's an opportunity to improve. And trying again, now in coaching, trying to get the players to understand that. I remember when I was older, one of the older players, and I was at Dundee and Partick, and I used to say all the time, like, when there's cones there or pole, go round the cone, go, don't stop short. And I'd be telling these players, and they'd be like, he's just a money old so-and-so, you know, like it's, uh, and I'm like, no, because it's your standards, you know, this is your personal standards. If you stop short there, you're going to stop short on the match day when I need you to go that extra mile, you know, so it was trying to coach that into the, even as a player, trying to coach that mindset into, into my teammates uh, or some of my teammates because they just, they, they maybe just don't think it matters where I believe the small details make a massive difference. And it's, uh, yeah, so that that side of it is, uh, I've, I've, I always feel I've had those kind of standards and those clubs, Rangers and, and Selby, obviously I spent a lot longer at Rangers, they, they demand that every day. Like you need to be that because you need to win every single game. You need to win any tournament that you're entering. And even all the stick that Rangers got this year with the Champions League, like Liverpool just beat Man United 7-0 yesterday. You know, and like, they beat Rangers 7-0 and it shoot it was the end of the world, you know. So like it, it just shows like the, the, the pressures that are on these teams and these players to go and perform every single week. Uh it does take a special kind of character to deal with that. You know, there's a lot of good players that have maybe not quite been able to handle that side of Glasgow. Uh and again, for me, I've always I've always kind of felt I've, I've been that way. Even when I was younger, like, playing at the smaller clubs, I still felt I always put strong demands on myself. I always had pretty high standards on a on a daily basis. Like I say, no, even on Saturday, like Monday to Friday, you're just you're training right. You're making sure everything's done properly. So come three o'clock on a Saturday, you're at the best possible place you could to go and have a game or a good game. And uh, that's uh, again a, a coaching modern day coaching. You'll hear people talk like that. Back then, it's probably not talked about. But listen, we've been talked about as much, but you don't see it because obviously the social media aspect and and, and where we're at in, in society at the moment, you see everything. There's nothing that you can you could watch Man City's training for yesterday probably if you wanted to find a way, you know. So, but there's uh, aye, that that side of it for me, the men, the mentality, the mental strength, the pressures. I, I say about certain players that you thrive on that environment. You know, see if the chips are down, and that's where you. I think that's where you learn about yourself or as a team when, when you're facing adversity. I mean, I had a couple of years really bad at Rangers when we were way behind Celtic, and we took a couple of doings and things. But it was uh, you still want to be out there and perform. And you've got fifty thousand fans there have turned up to see you, like no chuck it. You know, so you've got to be out there doing the right things, and again trying to help your teammates along do the right things as well. When you when you go back or when you go into an environment and you're trying to change that mentality and, and you've done it recently there at, at Huddersfield and it's you don't if you don't have a pre season and you've got Wednesday Saturday Wednesday Saturday and you talk about those daily standards how do you go about 
trying to change a culture of a club almost when the plane's taken off, you know? Yeah, listen, that, that's, that, I mean, I'm still uh, really early in my coaching journey and I'm thinking there probably be guys here 20 years further on than me than that wouldn't be able to answer that question properly because I do feel you can demand all you want, you can put things in place. I mean, I've been in meeting after meeting as a player and even as a coach where, right, what do we want to be? If we had someone watching us, how would we want them to be talking about us? And ultimately, you have to live it. You know, I, I sat in one uh, at Partick Thistle and I'd only, I, was, I was only in the door and I heard it was all that chat. And I, I just, I'd only been in, I didn't want to say too much, but somebody asked me, what do you think? I says, listen, it's brilliant to hear all this, but we need to be living it. And one of the things, one of the big things is, is oh, it's no about the individual, it's about the team and all this kind of, but that's fine when that individual's, everything's going that individual's way. It's what when it's no going that way. Are you still buying into all these standards? Are you still living it? Are you no going in a huff and and mump, kind of moping about the training ground because you're not getting a game? Or are you going to be that good teammate that we've said, but that we've all agreed to that we're going to be, that we still turn up? We, are, we turn up every single day. We're turn up to help each other. We're turn up to improve. And the only way you're going to get back into that team is by doing all these things. You're not going to get in it because, see, managers now and coaches... There's cameras, like training grounds and things. There's cameras everywhere. Managers, we've done it. After every training session, into the office, watch training. So there's not an action that happens on that training field that we don't see. So see if you're not training right or you're not running hard enough or you're moping and moaning about the training or maybe showing bad behaviours or body language towards certain people. The, the coach sees it or the manager sees it. And it's also like, do you really want that guy in your team? You know, so all these things are great. And to create a culture, you have to have good, players buying into it, you have to again, experienced players and the older guys are absolutely key because ultimately they're going to be the guys that drive it you know, they, it's their dressing room like see when you're a player, you see everything that goes on with your teammates, see he's the manager you, you don't, or a coach you're right, you're, in a, you're away from them because that's their place, it's their inner sanctum, you know you allow them their time and you've got to trust the fact that you've got the right people in that which again, the recruitment comes heavily into it uh, which is a massive, massive part of football now. And it's not just about, oh, that guy played really, really well against us last year. It's not. It's about finding what makes them tick. How, how are they on a, a, a Monday to Friday basis? How are they when they're facing adversity? How are they when they're injured? Because, again, that's part and parcel of football. They still need to be that guy. And this is the ideal scenario we're talking about, but it doesn't exist. Every manager will be saying it doesn't exist. But what's important, if you can get the right people in there, that you know they've got these standards or good values, and again, they're still going to be the good teammate, even when things maybe aren't going their way. That can help because, like I say, the dressing room's theirs. Like, we, we spend our, our time on the training field with them and we, and we try and build our relationships with them, but sometimes players are maybe a wee bit cautious when they're speaking to a coach or a manager. You know, so you, you might not be kind of making the connection. Some guys are really, really open and, and really easy to connect with. Other guys you have to spend a wee bit more time with. But I think that's, again, now in football, that's probably one of the biggest changes, I would think, is that back then it may have been man management, for instance. That's just a, it's a word. It's just a phrase that gets used in football. But it's, it's, what, what, what is it? I mean, man management, again, it was old, oh, it's the arm round the shoulder or the kick up the backside. That was the whole, uh, the old, well, there's a lot more to it than that, you know, because <laughs> every football player is a human being and they've got a life and they've got situations away from football that you actually have to try and have an understanding of what's going on in their life 
So if they come in and they're a bubbly can, they're not necessarily that bubbly one day, it's, is everything okay? Because you just never know. And I think that side of football is, again, you talked about the mental health side of and things and the mentalities, that side of it is you have to be super aware and that's where you need, not just for the manager because it's, it's so much, there's so many people that are at so much roles and I've watched it firsthand over the last two, two and a half to three years, the amount of stuff that managers have to deal with. That's why it's really, really important that the staff that he's got, the people that he's got beside him are people he can trust, people that are loyal to him, people that can add value to what he's good at and maybe be better at certain things as well. But in terms of all that, like managing the group, it has to be part of the staff's job as well. You know, so there's I've heard loads of coaches say there's like different ways of doing it. Some some guys have said that if there's four coaches, the manager and maybe three coaches or the manager and two coaches, they maybe split the group up and they take guys that they feel their characters match up with or guys that they have been able to reach better so they can start to get to know them really, really well, work out what makes them tick and and help them ultimately develop, get better and that will hopefully lead to performances in winning games of football. So it's really, really important side of football now. Fantastic, yeah. Another another side of football is is just you know, the dynamics of those those jobs, the craziness of the football business. Um, and obviously, we've Piero set this up and helped us connect in football careers. Or we're doing a little partnership with them, and we just wanted to get your perspective on that from a from an aspect of a young coach that's trying to to work at the professional level and build their network and 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 get alongside you know coaches like yourself. What what were some things that you would you would recommend that they do in their day to day habits? Yeah. No, well, listen, I am that guy at the moment. I am that young coach who's trying to get into the game. And I've I've been my first role when I, I, I retired from playing and I went straight out to Australia. And I had probably 20 months out in Australia, just straight for playing, writing the coaching. It was great. Uh, a great, really good experience. And then when I came back to Australia, I went and helped Martin Rennie, who was the Vancouver Whitecats manager. I helped him at, uh, at Falkirk for the second half of last season. And then I've had that short spell at Huddersfield. So I'm that guy still trying to build that, you know, and get that opportunity and that, have that real sustain. Because I'm, I'm hungry, you know, and I'm full of energy. I, I don't want a break, you know. I'm not ready for a break. Uh, I, want to, I want to be on the grass with a group of players, you know. So it's the biggest thing I would say, like, like the networking side of it is huge. You know, it really is. I mean, you, you sit back and you see people get jobs here, there and everywhere. And you actually think, I wonder, how, how do you manage to get that job? And how, where's the connection there? Because I could guarantee there will be a connection somewhere along the line. So whether it's you were on the B licence with them or on the pro licence or you bumped into them one night in, in a restaurant and you had a chat and then you exchange numbers and all of a sudden the relationship develops. And when one guy gets a job, he would like to work with the next guy, you know? So it's the, the networking side, it's huge. But... Constantly looking to learn as well, like you no know, staying idle. And if you've got time and you're out of work, there's always courses that you could be doing. By the way, you can always go and do club visits. This is the thing with managers and and teams now are pretty. It's a it's a good uh, kind of group where. They're always looking to help. So if you wanted a wee club visit with somebody, going to see how other people work again, guys that are maybe relevant to you. If you know what I mean, guys that you feel the way that or the way you think they work might 
be similar to how you would like to work. So maybe go to see them firsthand, how they prepare for a game, how they train on a daily basis. You can even see for afar how they interact with players. I mean, I'd done that when I came back to Australia. I went and uh, I went down to see Warbs at QPR. I went to see Darren Moore at Sheffield Wednesday. Great guys, really good. I mean, Warbs had a brilliant time at, uh, as QPR manager. Darren Moore's on the way to League One title at the moment uh, with Sheffield Wednesday. I think they're 21 games unbeaten, which is incredible. So you go on to see these guys, how they work. I went and uh, uh, Leicester at the start of the season seeing Brendan Rodgers against someone who I came directly up against up here uh, when he was manager at Celtic and as much as at the time it wasn't nice it was impressive with the way he coaches the way he manages how he gets the best out of the groups that he's been in I think that's applied pretty much to every team that he's, he's coached so you, you can only if you've got time to do that then absolutely that's that's really beneficial to go on and speak and what happens along that way is there is a network inside of that as well because you're not just there to meet the manager. You're there spending a lot of time with the staff. You know, it could be the assistant or the coaches. Uh, I mean, when I went in the QPR to see uh, Warbs, uh, I must have sat one afternoon for about two, two and a half, three hours with Neil Banfield. And he's now working up in Rangers with Michael Beale. Oh, and he'd worked for years and years with Arsene Wenger, I think, at Arsenal. I mean, what a... What an opportunity to sit with a guy with 20-odd years' experience of working at Arsenal, you know, and everything that he's seen over that time. And like, yes, we just I mean, we could have sat there all day. I think I ended up getting kicking out the training ground that day, but we were sitting there for, we were sitting there for hours. So when you do these visits and things, there is a, there is a real networking element to it as well, which is, which is great because that, that is, for me, probably one of the most important things. I mean, the reason I got the job at Huddersfield because I met Mark Fothery. I mean, I knew Mark for, for years. He came into trial with a couple of clubs and we've crossed each other's paths a few times. He's a few years younger than me, but we were on the, the pro licence together and we, we built up a brilliant relationship. And the way he talks about football, I thought, this is a guy, I, this is a guy I'd like to work with. And luckily enough, he asked me, if I, would, if I would want to do it, if and when he got that opportunity. And honestly, I can't speak highly enough about it. I mean, some of the work that he's done is out of this world. I mean, things like this happen in football. You know, clubs make decisions and well, through time it'll, it'll be proven whether it's wrong or right or people have an opinion on whether it was wrong or right. But the work he done was absolutely incredible with that team and how he pushed them and the energy he gave and the information, everything we're talking about, the detail, how to defend and organise the team. I mean, if the things were going well on, on, on the right path, I thought anyway. But uh, what I mean is, what, what a guy you work with. I mean, he's like I said, he's I think he's three or four years younger than me. But what I learned over that three months was invaluable moving forward. Yeah, he was with Hertha Berlin. Like, what, what kind of insights? <laughs> the German league is different level, right? Well, you know what, right? This and this is the thing that this guy's worked in the Bundesliga. He's an assistant manager in the Bundesliga. Like, where was the last Scottish guy that was an assistant manager in the Bundesliga? And not only did he was the assistant, he done. He's worked alongside Felix McGah, who's an absolute legend in the game. Like, think of the stuff that he's learned over the over the time. Because it's no, he worked with him at Fulham as the manager as well, and that's where obviously the connection is, is came. And through his assistant manager, uh, Felix at the time, I think was a guy called Thomas Orrell who then took Mark out to Germany in his first coaching role. So his whole pretty much education in coaching has been has been in Germany. So he's got this British style, this Scottish attitude, mixed in with this German ability to coach and organise and, and do it well. I'm telling you, the blend is it's incredible. And when he gets the right role, 
mark my words, he's going to go one way. He's going to go one way because, and like I said, the learning curve that, that, I, that what I've learned in the last three, four months working with him has been absolutely invaluable for me moving forward and hopefully we'll work together again uh, because I think it's only going to go one way with him. He just needs the right opportunity. But like you say, the Bundesliga, they kept Hertha Berlin in the, in the Bundesliga in the playoff. So you talk about high-pressure stakes, 70,000, at the game where you now need to overturn, a, a, I think it was a 1-0 or a 2-0 lead uh, against Hamburg to stay in the Bundesliga. And they've done it, you know. Like, it doesn't get any more high-pressure than that. But to be managing and having involvement at that level with the professionalism and the pressure and the level of footballers. And by the way, the, the wisdom of the guy that he's working with, and not just him, but the people that he would have surrounded himself with, is uh, like, how he's, he's out of work at the moment, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, honestly, it's, uh, it's absolutely, I mean, I, I, it's easy for me to say because I, I know him and I've worked with him and I can see like, how he goes about his business. But it was, uh, I, I mean, as an education point of view, it was, it was an incredible three months. And then last one, what's, what's next for you? You mentioned before we started recording a bit of media work at the minute and just keeping busy and, and working on those connections. Yeah. Well, at the moment, yeah, that's it. It's, it's, it's trying to keep busy. It's, uh, just doing what you can. I mean, against obviously in the game, like trying to I mean so whether you're doing your punditry work, you're doing your co-coms, you're doing your 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 radio work, all it is is you're just talking football. You know, I mean, we could, we could sit here for the next five hours and be talking about football. You know, so it's uh, I really enjoy it, but my but my passion is is being on the grass. You know, so it's it's waiting for the right opportunity. Uh, probably maybe looking at more like the summer at the moment with ten, twelve games to go in the seasons. And seeing what pops up in the summer. Uh, but no, like I said, hungry as ever. Uh, keen to be back. And absol- I've absolutely loved, I mean, I miss being a player. Honestly, I absolutely miss it badly. Uh, but it's, uh, it is the next best thing. And I'll be honest, like, it's been two, two and a half years. It was 20, in fact, sorry, it's been three years now, actually. Three years, 2020, it was when I retired. So I've kind of pretty much been doing coaching for three years now. And it's different. It's the next best buzz. But it's a different buzz because when you're working on things and you see it and you're like, this is what we're talking about. I remember one game we were playing uh, there and it was like, uh, the gaffer looked around at me and went, oh, look at that, this is football, this is how we're playing. Because we, we had been working on it and it was things were starting to come together and it was, uh, and it is, it's a real, like, it's a brilliant feeling to see like you're actually achieving something. What you're working on is now happening and the group are taking it in. Uh, and doing it, we had the same in Australia. Working with Carol Robinson, like he's—he was another guy. Who worked in Vancouver. He was a coach in Vancouver, and uh, he then took over as a manager again. A, a friend of mine for over twenty years now, for we were at Wolves together, and again he's had great experiences and like had a brilliant time across there, you know. And it was for me, it was really good to go across the Australian coach because you're away for everything, you know. You could just focus on the job where you've. When you're back here, you know it's, there's a lot of scrutiny. You've talked about the pressures, and like you, you've had that for 20 years as a player as well. It was nice to take a backward step and, and go and just actually focus on coaching and and uh, and again improve every day. You're looking to improve, and you're picking wee things up for the people you work with. And I've been very fortunate working with Carol Martin and and, and Foz most recently. That uh, it's been it's been a brilliant three years for me. I mean, again, I had a wee spell in management at Livingston, but then dropped back into the playing side yet. So it's been a brilliant three years. Uh, in terms of that, so I'm really, really hungry to get back in, and this is where the networking comes in. You know, you need to, you need to find someone who 
you match up with somebody who feels that you can add value to them ultimately or someone gives you the opportunity to go on your own and believes in you uh, again re reading a little bit again to go back on the German thing I was reading a little bit this week about the choice to give Javi Alonso the Leverkusen job and how it was looked up oh he's not got experience at this level and he's even though as a player he's an absolute world class player and won everything there was still a wee bit of question well should we give him this job this is Bundesliga here you know like this is it's a big ask and they've gave him at the trust of them. it might have been a wee bit of a rocky start but they're flourishing now because again ultimately time continuity stability it's, it's not, it doesn't guarantee success but I'll tell you it's going to give you a better chance if you, and there's probably nine managers out of ten when they go into a job and you're going into it maybe when it's not in a great place because they've got rid of a manager there might be the one or two times where the manager's done great and then moved on but you're more likely to be going in maybe in maybe difficult circumstances so you're going to have to probably ride a rocky patch and it's really, really important if you can get through that. It might not guarantee that you're going to achieve everything you hope you'll achieve, but it'll definitely give you a better chance with it with a bit of stability and continuity. And the biggest thing for me is, with that, is clubs need to understand what they want. You know, like they need to understand what they want, how they're going to do it, and why they're doing it. And if they don't make that appointment and they make a clear choice, and this is the guy that we believe in, like, you maybe need to give him a little bit more time. Because if, if you match up and you all have this shared vision and everybody's aligned, then you'll get there. You know, you'll get there because you know why you're doing it. You know what you want to do and why you're doing it. And I think you'll get there. Again, there's never any guarantees, but I think we're a bit of football management now. I mean, it's, it's incredible, you know. Like the average tenure must just be dropping and dropping and dropping as each season passes, you know. So, uh, but yeah, it's uh, I can't wait. You know, it's like we love it, love, love the game. Wouldn't change it for anything. Had a love the career as a player. Now, when you're into a coach, it is it's a lot more unstable than that as a player because your your two, your three, your four year contract doesn't really mean much. But it's uh, you wouldn't change it for the world. So yeah, really hungry to get back in and get involved with a group and a club. Kenny, your enthusiasm is unbelievable. I could chat to you all day, so uh, I really appreciate you taking the time and excited to see what's next for you and, and wish you all the best. Fantastic. I love this. No, I appreciate it. Any time we'll get another chance, we could finish off the, maybe the next 90% of what uh, goes yeah. into coaching management. <laughs> uh, class. We'll keep in touch for sure. Kenny, thank Definitely. you so much. Fantastic. No problem, pal. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.